Hi, everybody, and welcome to Wednesday night. And here we are coming to you online once again. And uh, man, I'm excited about this new series. We're going to be talking about the questions Jesus asked of us. You know, we have a lot of questions for God, don't we? I know that through the years I've asked God questions like this. Well, Lord, where were you when I went through that? Or uh, why didn't you move this way instead of that way? Or why did you allow this, Lord? Or what kind of good is ever going to come out of this? Um, and just questions. We have questions for God. But sometimes I don't think we stop to think that God has questions for us. As a matter of fact, if you look at the Gospels, you find that Jesus asked many questions and he asked them of people. And so I want to take in the next few weeks the questions Jesus asked, because the ones he asked are, are ones that apply to us. And, you know, he might have asked Zacchaeus a question or uh, some uh, leper a question, but the questions pertain to us as well. So I've tried to look at the questions Jesus asked and, and just pick out the ones that might best apply universally to all of us. And we're going to deal with some of those today. And I can't wait for this series. Um, I believe it's going to be a real blessing to you. I believe it's going to speak to you. It's going to minister to you because, um, you know, we need to have these questions answered in our own minds. And so let me just deal with a couple of them tonight. I'm not going to be in a hurry. I'm going to take two questions tonight, two key questions that Jesus asked, and then I'm going to answer them. Give us the biblical answer as best I can. And I believe it's going to help you. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to venture to say you've asked them. And if you haven't thought to think about them or stopped to think about them, um, you're still wondering about them. We, these are questions every believer should have a good answer for. You know, Peter said we ought to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. And so let's take these two questions tonight and I'm going to read to you the context of where the questions were brought by Jesus and then I'm going to give you an answer. So grab your Bibles. Hope you've got your Bibles right there with you. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James and um, uh, whatever version you're in, uh, the question should be similar. So let's let's just deal with two questions. The first one, Jesus asked in Mark 8, 29, he said to the disciples, who do you say I am? You know, folks, I think that's one of the most important questions of the day because there's so much scuttlebutt going on around in the culture about who Jesus was, who he wasn't. Um, people giving this answer and that, people uh, uh, giving their idea of who they believe Jesus was, and it couldn't be more unbiblical. Uh, and then there are people who are giving a good biblical answer. But there's a lot of a lot of um, questions out there about who Jesus really was and is. So let's uh, look at the context. First of all, let me just 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 uh, talk about this question a minute. Uh, he asked this question of the disciples because he knew that a lot of people were out there confused about his identity. Uh, so there's nothing new under the sun. In Jesus' day, there was a lot of people confused about who he was. His disciples said, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some believe you're a great teacher or a actual, a real magician. And 
This is a crucial question for today. Who is Jesus? Who was he? Who is he? Who does the Bible say he is? Uh, you will note, if you ever study the cults, the cults are very faithful to mess up the Bible's definition of who Jesus really is. Uh, they will always undermine, um, marginalize, dumb down, or skew who the Bible says Jesus was and is. A couple of examples. One of the best-known cults of our day is the Mormons. You probably know a few Mormons. I do. Well, the Mormons teach that Jesus, get this, you may not have known this, but the Mormons teach that Jesus is the brother of Satan and that they are both sons of God and that Jesus and Satan are spirit brothers. That's right. That's what the Mormons teach. And they also believe that Jesus was created. Big mistake. We're going to see in just a moment that Jesus was not created. But that's two ways, major ways, in which the Mormons uh, skew who Jesus really was and is, according to the Bible. Then we have the well-known JWs, the Jehovah's Witnesses. They teach that Jesus was the first created being of Jehovah God. I'm going to say that again. They teach that Jesus was the first created being of Jehovah God. Jehovah God created Jesus as a divine-like spirit at some point in ancient pre-creation time. Well, that's totally false. That is not what the Bible teaches at all. That's heresy. It is rank heresy. So let me ask, who do you say, Jesus, if I stopped you on the street and had a microphone up to your face and said, hey, tell me, you're a professing believer. Who do you say Jesus was and is? Uh, a good man, a great teacher, our only way to heaven, or one of many ways to heaven? Uh, or do you say he's the only way, the truth, and the life, and nobody gets to the Father but through him, as Jesus described himself? Well, I want my answer to be what Peter's answer was when Jesus looked at the disciples and said, first, who do men say that I am? But then Jesus leveled, moved in on them and leveled them with the question and said, but I want to know, who do you say that I am? I want to know what you think. You've been following me a while. You've seen me do miracles. You've seen me, uh, you know, multiply the bread and feed the masses and walk on water and cast out devils. Tell me, disciples of mine, who have you concluded I am? Well, Peter blurted out by revelation of God, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus was so moved by that. He said, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So he got it by divine revelation. Thomas in John 20, verse 28, when he realized that Jesus had truly been crucified, died and risen from the dead, he said, my Lord and my God, not just any man, not just, not just a good guy that went around healing people, but he said, you are my God. Thomas had it right. So what does the Bible teach about Jesus, who he was and is? Well, the Bible says, first of all, that Jesus was God's only begotten son. Very important, the word begotten, not just God's only son, 
but his only begotten son. Now that's a very exclusive statement. The word begotten is from a Greek word that means one and only, one of a kind, literally the only of its kind. So it's exclusive. Uh, the word begotten is letting us know that there's never been one like Jesus and there'll never be another one. He's the only begotten son of God. Another, there'll never be like him. There was never anyone begotten of God like Jesus and there never will be again. Now we as Christians have been born again, but it's not the same as Jesus being God's only begotten son. Not at all, because he was born of the Virgin Mary. He was conceived in Mary's womb by a supernatural act of God. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. And that holy thing conceived in her was God the Son. So he is utterly unique. Jesus, utterly unique. He's the only begotten Son of God. But then the Bible also tells us that Jesus was in fact God. This is so important, folks. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, capital W, talking about Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now look, the Word was with God means that Jesus, the Word, was coexisting with God. Coexisting with God. And then John takes it further. And this one coexisting with God was also God. So now we've moved into the realm of the Trinity. There is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they are three distinct persons, yet they make up one God. The Lord your God is one God, wrote, wrote Moses. But that one God is comprised of three distinct persons, not forms, not modes, not manifestations, but persons, all right? Being God, that means that Jesus is eternal. You know, we read about God. Isaiah said, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Now, he spoke that about God the Father, Jehovah. But the same is true of the Son. From everlasting to everlasting, it's true of Jesus. He is from everlasting to everlasting because he's God the Son. Jesus has no beginning and has no end. He was never created. Please get that. Because see, uh, like I read to you, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses say he was created. The Mormons teach he was created. There have been humongous church controversies down through the ages. Was Jesus eternal, coexistent with God, an eternal God himself? Or was he created? This is why there were major church councils. This is why the Council of Nicaea, from which we get the Nicene Creed. This is why they met. This is why the Emperor Constantine brought them together so that they could settle the issue of, was Jesus uh, created? Did he have a beginning? Whereas God didn't? Or was Jesus eternal like God? And of course, they decided that the Bible taught, rightly so, that Jesus was never created He's always been and always will be. God the Father from everlasting to everlasting. God the Son from everlasting to everlasting. So important. Never forget that. We worship an eternal Messiah, an eternal Savior. Amen. We're also told that 
Jesus was the prophesied and long awaited for Messiah, sent to die on the cross for our sins. Did you know that over 47 Old Testament messianic prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus Christ? Is that amazing? 47. Just start counting from 1 to 47 and realize that in the birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, 47 Old Testament prophecies were perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Acts 2, verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So the eternal God, the Son, was incarnated by a miraculous act of God. God, the Son, gave up his rights in heaven. Now, he never gave up his deity. Watch this carefully. Jesus never gave up his deity. Not for one moment did Jesus lay aside his deity. When he was on earth, he was all God, all man, all man, all God. But he did give up his rights. He gave up his privileges. And it says in Philippians, he took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, and was obedient all the way to the death on the cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name that is named in heaven and earth and under the earth. So uh, it's very important that we understand Jesus was the prophesied and long awaited for Messiah. God wrapped himself literally in human skin, but he never gave up his deity. His deity was intact his entire time on earth and through his death, burial and resurrection. Now, uh, when Jesus asked the question, who do you say I am? It was not because he needed the disciples' affirmation. He didn't need that. But he wanted them to think it through. And I want you to think it through. And I want all of us together as a church family to think it through. And all of you listening by radio, think it through. Who is and was Jesus? Well, we just named a few things. He was God. He was the Messiah all the Old Testament prophesied, uh, prophets predicted and prophesied. Uh, he is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He's the soon coming King. And so we need a clear understanding. We need our Christology. That's the theological term for it. Your Christology is what you believe about Christ. We need to have our Christology crystal clear. So that's who Jesus was and is. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was very God. And thank God we serve a mighty, mighty Savior. Amen? So we say with Peter, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. Now let's go to a second question, and the last question I want to deal with tonight. And that is recorded in John's Gospel. This one is a great question. Jesus asked a man who had been uh, afflicted and crippled for 38 years. He asked him this, this question. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? What a question. Let's read about it. John 5, verse 1. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Verse 3. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, 
the paralyzed. What a sight this must have been. Now, verse five, there was one who was there that had been an invalid for 38 years. He was crippled in his legs. Think about this. He'd lain there for 38 years. I can't even think of that. Verse six, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a very long time, longer than Jesus had been on earth, he asked him, there, here comes the question, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I've got nobody to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Now here we have an incredible scene. For some reason, we, there's, there's no other explanation for this in the Bible. We only know what we have here in John's gospel. From time to time, unexpectedly, there was no way of knowing when it was going to happen. An angel would come and stir the waters at this pool of Bethesda. And whoever amongst the sick and the lame got to the water first and touched it was healed. I don't understand that. I don't plan to understand or, or claim to understand it. But it's true because the Bible says it is. Now, here's this poor man. He's crippled. So of all the people, and, and there's, there's a vast multitude, and they have this one wish, hope, dream, longing. Maybe next time it's stirred, I can make a mad dash for that water, crawl to it, have somebody put me in it. However I get there, I can get to it first and be healed. Can you imagine the frustration, the anger, the disappointment, the shattered dreams, when every time that water was stirred, somebody got there before you and this man, no matter, no, no telling how many times he had realized the water was being stirred. All he could do was crawl with his arms and he didn't get there in time. Somebody got to it before him and was healed and shouting and crying and weeping and jumping and however they responded, he watched them healed and once again had to crawl back to his spot and in dejection and depression and disappointment, languish again in his affliction. So isn't it strange that Jesus would come to him and say, hey, I got a question for you. Do you want to get well? Do you really want to get well? Now, Jesus never wasted words. And if Jesus asked a question, there was a good reason for it. No doubt about it. Now, I've thought a lot about this, and I'm going to just give you some conjecture. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why Jesus asked it, but I do think that the scriptures give us a good idea uh, just from reading the rest of the word of God and ascertaining what we can by knowing the, the entirety of the Bible. Jesus wanted to know if the man had grown so accustomed to his affliction that it was now an identity. He wanted to keep. I think that's, I think that's a real possibility. Um, this man might have been so wrapped up in his unfortunate situation that he began to identify himself as the one who has been here the longest or the one who is the worst off. Something like that. And listen, church, if Jesus cures me, who will I be? 
Because for 38 years, I've had 38 years for my identity to form around my having this affliction. So if Jesus cures me, if I somehow get cured, who will I be? Who will I be? Uh, I, I can't even envision me apart from this affliction. I can't even envision myself not being this way. Now, this may sound strange to you, but I can tell you as a pastor of many years, I've seen people who literally grew to, 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 to develop their identity around an affliction or some habit or, or some, some disease. Um, I've watched their sickness bring sympathy, sometimes financial help, pity, attention, or even getting to know people they enjoyed getting to know, but they would never have gotten to know them had their affliction not drawn those people to them from compassion. See, I think you can get so used to not being right that not being right starts feeling right. And I think this might have happened to this man. I'm going to say that again. I think you can get so used to not being healthy that not being healthy begins to feel normal. And it's not. I don't know if that's what happened to this man, but I think it's a certainly a, a reasonable theory. Um, I recall a lady from many years ago, I've pastored a long time, and I remember many, many years ago, not even in the church I'm in now, um, but there was a lady in our church who had some kind of ailment all the time. If it wasn't this, it was that. And if it wasn't that, it was this. Uh, it just seemed like there was always something wrong. And she would talk about it. When she would come to church, she would talk about her latest affliction, her latest ailment. And um, invariably, Christians being Christians, would um, it would elicit sympathy. It would elicit empathy. And they would give to her. They would spend time with her. They would sometimes go get her groceries. They would uh, give her all kinds of home remedies for whatever affliction was bothering her this, this week or this month. And they would give her, give her money to go to the doctor. But, you know, I noted that she never got better. It just seemed like she never got better. And if she got better from one thing, she quickly had something else. So one day I was talking to her about her plight and I was praying with her. And suddenly it dawned on me that the reason she never got better is because she didn't want to get better. Because her identity had formed around not being healthy. And this was now her identity. So not being healthy became normal for her. It was her normal. Being healthy was not normal for her. Being unhealthy was her normal. It's how she made friends. It's how she was taken care of. And so I knew right then and there, until she wants to truly get better, this sister is never going to be better. Now, I'm not in any way suggesting this is the case with everybody. I know people that would give anything to be better. Listen, I get it. But I, I'm just wondering if the reason Jesus said to a man who had been afflicted 38 years, why would he say, do you want to get well? Why would he ask that? Unless perhaps this had happened to this man. Being unhealthy had become his healthy. And maybe he didn't want to face life as a whole man. Maybe he didn't want responsibilities of being whole. Maybe he didn't want to go back to work. 
Maybe he did not want to re-enter the culture. Maybe he had grown very, very used to being where he was, sitting in this one spot around the same people week in and week out, year in and year out. Maybe this had become the way he liked to live. So Jesus says, do you really want to get well? Because if you want to get well, I can do something about it. So first, can I just suggest to you that if Jesus is going to change us, we got to want to be changed. So let me put it another way. I can hear the question this way. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired yet? Are you tired of being tired yet? Put it another way. Are you tired of being drunk? Are you tired of being drunk? Do you want to get well? Have you reached that place where you are sick and tired of being sick and tired of walking around the same old mountain, uh, repenting over the same old thing, experience the same conviction, same guilt, same shame? Do you want to get well? I hear Jesus asking, I think there have been times he's asked me that. Do you really want to get well, Jeff? Um, are you tired of dying for drugs? Are you tired of dying for drugs? Uh, are you tired of falling yet again into porn? Are you so sick and tired of falling over and over again into porn? Are you so sick and tired of it that you want to get well? Do you really want to get well? Can we just allow Jesus to ask us that question? Are you tired of yet another broken relationship? Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired of relationship after relationship failing? Do you, do you want to get well? Do you want to learn some new relationship uh, techniques and strategies and some new wisdom? Uh, are you tired of whatever it is that's ruining your life, ruining your life? Are you tired of it? Are you tired of every good thing God wants to do in your life being sabotaged? Do you want to get well? I think it's a very penetrating question. Are you tired enough to change? Are you tired enough to let God change you? Jesus wanted to know if the despair of his situation had become greater than the perks. So we see that Christ's help can be withheld if we don't invite him into our pain. So I guess what I'm saying tonight is can we let the question Jesus asked this man also be asked of us? Just imagine Jesus looking in the eye right now uh, wherever you are, saying, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Because if you want to get well, and you turn to me in faith, I can make you well. I can do something about this. I can help you. <clears throat> I can either heal you or give you enough amazing grace that I can walk you through the valley of this problem. But do you want my help? See, when we complain to God about our circumstances or give him excuses as to why we're in the same place, spiritually or emotionally, year after year. As I said, walking around the same mountain. Do you know there's a verse in the Old Testament where God says the children of Israel, you've walked around this mountain long enough? Do you know that's a verse in the Bible? Uh, God asked the children of Israel in the wilderness, Are you, you've walked around this mountain long enough. It's time to move on. So do you want to move forward spiritually? Do you want to make progress emotionally? 
Uh, do you want to go to a new place where God can be your all in all? Are you willing to leave the situation that you've allowed yourself to be defined by and let the Lord Jesus be the one who defines you? Are you ready for a new normal? Are you ready for a new reality? Are you ready for a new you? Because listen, you can't make a new you. No, 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 no. But Jesus can make a new you. He made a new me and he's making a newer me every day. The man replied to Jesus, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. In other words, here's what I think the man was saying. Yes, Lord, I want to get well. I've tried to get down there and I can't. So if you want to know if, if I really want to get well, you better know I want to get well. I just haven't been able to beat the first guy to the water. And so Jesus said, very well then, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once, this man whose legs, no doubt, were pretzels. His muscles were totally atrophied. And all of a sudden, strength surged into those dead legs. And this man stood up on his feet and he entered a brand new life. The greatest miracle of all is when we say, Jesus, I'm so tired of my sin. I'm so tired of failing. I'm so tired of ruining myself. I'm so tired of these destructive habits. I'm so tired of living in darkness and living under the, the sway of the devil. I'm so tired of this sinful life. Please, Lord, forgive me and come into my heart and be my Savior and Lord. And you know what? When you do that, strength surged into this man's legs. The life of God surged into his legs. But when you pray that prayer and ask Christ into your heart, the life of God surges into your spirit man. And your spirit man that was even more dead than his legs receives life. And you stand up a brand new person. What a powerful, powerful story. And I pray that if you don't know Jesus, you will call out in his name the greatest miracle available to all mankind is available to you right now. And that is coming to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, asking him into your heart, asking him to forgive you for your sins, repenting to him. And he will give you a brand new life that is far more revolutionarily changed than this man's was. Well, I hope you enjoyed going through these two questions. I know I did. And next week, we're going to pick up with another few questions, two or three at least. And I'm going to begin with this one. Why are you so afraid? Don't miss next week. It's going to be great. I encourage you to tune in. Until then, I'll see you Sunday. I'm looking forward to being there in person. We had a great time in church last time. It was so good to be back in the pulpit. Please tell somebody who you know that hasn't returned to church yet. Would you be an evangelist? Would you be an encourager and exhorter and give them a call and say, hey, we're missing you. We wish you were there in person. Uh, let's let's regather as God's household and uh, go reach somebody that I can't reach and be the voice of Jesus for us. All right. God bless you. We'll see you next time. I'll see you Sunday. Amen. <laughs>